Holy Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and went up on a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. Oh, they appeared in glory want to say his departure, of, uh, which he was about to accomplish at Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his the glory and the two men who stood with him. Okay. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Moses didn't know. <laughs> Moses didn't know that the glory of the Lord, shining with an irrepressible light, was upon him. Glory. Doxa, as in like doxology, the glory of God, the majesty, the brightness, the brilliance, the radiance, the splendor, the power, the honor, the goodness of God, doxa. We have moments where we perceive that radiance. It may be fleeting, but it comes whenever we are in worship, maybe, or prayer, or in I can pick out, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot in my life, but I can pick out a few particular times when that happened to me. One of them that stands out especially was when I was 17 years old. And a, a lot of you, I won't weary you with my story once again, but for those who don't know, um, my high school years were pretty rough. I would call them a time of deepest darkness in a lot of ways. My mother committed suicide when I was 14. She lost a battle with mental illness. My father became very depressed. And I don't know, it all sort of went to heck in a handbasket. It was a tough, dark, kind of dismal time in my life. And I was not going to church. I had dropped out of church at the start of confirmation class. I had shown up for one class and said, no, I'm not doing this which I'll tell you, if you don't go to confirmation, then God sends you to seminary. <laughs> At any rate, I had faithful grandparents and grandmothers that were always praying for me and worrying about me and stressing over me. And um, one of them one day on the phone said, you know, Alex, you really probably, you, need, you just need to go back to church. You know, the good Lord will take care of you. It's time to 
go to church. So one Sunday morning, actually on a Saturday night, I sort of let my fingers do the walking through the yellow pages, we used to say before Google. And I went down the yellow pages looking for churches, and I found um, the name of Nativity Lutheran Church, which was the church I had gone to when I was a very little girl. And uh, so I, I phoned up and found up the worship time, and I showed up that Sunday morning out of the blue, and I received this amazing welcome, a homecoming by people who had not seen me in quite a long time, and I had grown from a little girl to a, you know, a 17-year-old teenager, and yet they immediately embraced me and welcomed me and celebrated uh, my return. And I went into the sanctuary to worship, and I went all the way up to the very front row, and we still didn't have pews in that little church. It was still the, the, the putty-colored metal folding chairs. And I sat there in my folding chair, and the music started, and we sang the liturgy. And as we sang, I had the sense that the darkness had parted, and the room was filled with this incredible, brilliant, warm light. And the colors were more vivid, and I felt like that light just penetrated to my very soul, and my whole being radiated this light of Christ. And I went home that day in my car singing that liturgy, and I was filled with hope and joy and a sense of goodness and beauty that had nothing to do with my circumstances in life and everything to do with God's presence. Another time when I had that experience was while I was in seminary and I experienced a miscarriage. My little Luke was just born way, way, way too soon. And those of you who've maybe been through that know what a, a wrenching uh, grief that can be. And I was, um, you know, you, you think you're just not going to stop crying, especially that week. But I was embraced by neighbors, people of faith, who just held us, you know, in kind of a safe space. Their presence was that cloud of witnesses around us. And they invited us to tell our story and pour out our heartbreak again and again, knowing that that would heal and cleanse and restore us. And then that Sunday, we went down to church, which was our habit, and entered the sanctuary. And I didn't think I would make it through the opening prayer. You know, the tears are just there, and they're starting to come down my cheeks. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm just going to sob my way through this whole service. And we're singing about God's light and brilliance and goodness and joy and peace. And I'm feeling not good and not joyful and, um, and just filled and overcome with sadness. But the people around us, their presence was palpable and they would put a hand upon us. And, and they made eye contact with us, and their prayers and their singing became our singing until finally we were able to lift our voices in God's praise along with theirs by the time we got to communion. Once again, I experienced the glory of Christ. I feel that light when I'm in a worship service where the drums are playing and we're dancing and singing and swaying and clapping and I love that and it's not been very traditionally Lutheran. So when I get it, I'm just 
overflowed with joy. And I feel that doxa, that power, that goodness, that radiance, that warmth. On Sunday mornings when I approach the altar and it seems like about the time we get to communion, the sunbeam comes through that window and lights up the altar and I can just feel the heat of the light on my face and I know God is present. A commentator this week told a story about um, an African-American congregation. You know, worship in those churches tends to be very physical. You know, they just embody that music. And, and it can be loud and it's spontaneous. And there's a lot of, of, of verbal response and hallelujahs and, you know, and preach it and all of that coming at the minister. And this particular Sunday, though, it was rather quiet. The congregation was hurting. People had, were suffering because of something that had happened in the community and in their lives. And so there wasn't this fervor. And during a particularly quiet kind of somber moment in the service, a very little tyke with a glowing face was sitting up in the front and he turned around in the pew the way children will do and started peering out at the faces of those behind him. And as he looked at the people in his church, his little face began to smile and then it grew into a grin and then there was the twinkle in his eyes and his little face was just glowing. And the more he glowed, the more the people that he was looking at, well, they began to get a little smile too. And then they were grinning back. And before you know it, this light had penetrated the hearts of everybody in the room. Worship, prayer, standing in the presence of God. People of faith have a depth or a joy or maybe a kind of charisma that flows from this deep relationship with God and with God's abundant goodness and kindness and radiance shine in their faces even under the most difficult circumstances. We say her face shone, right? Peace, deeper, more enduring than any happiness we could know is ours. We have joy in suffering, even though suffering Joy comes from the Lord, not from circumstances. And we don't even realize it. Moses didn't know. in ourselves. We cannot see it in ourselves. We only see it in others and they see it in us. Moses' face was so radiant it was overpowering. Seared into his flesh. All that time spent in God's presence does that. God's light just it's seared into us. 
But Moses doesn't know he's shining until others start reacting, and people sometimes don't know what to do with that. The glory of the Lord is so brilliant. Comes us, and still it causes those who see the glory. over their head to protect themselves. It's enough to see through the cloud dimly. We can't handle the full-on power of it. It's enough to catch glimpses of the reflected light of Christ in others, to experience it shrouded in mystery, to take a peek on a mountaintop with Peter and John and James, it's so overwhelming that Peter babbles on about building some booths in celebration of God's provision when God led Moses and the Israelites, Peter's ancestors, out of Egypt and through the wilderness and to the promised land. Maybe it's because Elijah and Moses were talking about Jesus' exodus. We said his departure, but in the, in the text, it's Jesus's coming exodus on the cross, which will open for all people the way to eternal life. I don't know why Peter said what he said. Whatever we say is going to sound equally silly. In the face of glory, we're left mute, blinking, confused in the light. We nearly sigh with relief when it's all over, when we're happy to see Jesus back in his dusty tunic and sandals, his curly hair blowing in a gentle breeze, and we're happy to follow him down the mountain, to listen to him, and to simply witness his power to heal. The glory of God, the doxa, is visible only in the power of love. The light's almost indetectable, right? There are times when it feels dark. Maybe this is one of those times, war breaking out in Europe, watching the people of Ukraine fight for their homes, their lives, all that they believe in. There are seasons when the glory is visible only in the power of love and we can see it even in a war zone in the way people support one another, defend one another, rely on one another, reach out to heal and mend one another. We see it in reconciliation and in mended relationships and in mended lives. We see it in kindness. We see it in a listening ear. We experience it in the people around us who hold us and sing God's praises for us until we can sing them for ourselves. There is the Garden of Gethsemane. There is an arrest and a trial. There and there will be disillusionment and death. 
but the darkness of the tomb has no power against the radiance of God's glorious light. The darkness of the tomb has no power against the radiance of God's glorious light. Resurrection, transfiguration from death to life. We can't see it for ourselves, but maybe that glimpse of glory has changed us too. Maybe it has transformed us in the same way it transformed Moses and Elijah. It fills us with strength and courage and wisdom that we cannot account for and didn't know we had. It gives us determination and assurance and faith. Moses begged to talk to God face to face and God knew it was a bad idea. But God makes a compromise. Moses is up on the mountaintop. Lord, just let me see your face. Just let me see your face. And God says, no, you're going to have to cover your face, and I'm going to pass by. But when I get past you, then you get to open your eyes and take a peek, and you get to look at my backside. <laughs> and Moses is forever altered, transfigured by the encounter. It illuminates, it makes conspicuous this doxa, this glory of God, and it marks us as witnesses to the Lord of life. As Thomas Curry put it, the unbearable brightness of Moses' face is the residue of God's steadfast love for Israel. God's faithfulness to them in the face of betrayal and even death, and God's gift to them of a dignity and honor they did not choose and would never have chosen for themselves. We too are meant for shining. This too is God's gift to us, and we are being transfigured by the power of Jesus' love into a glory-bearing, glory-reflecting, Glory bound people, amen.